Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Okay. I think I'll get started now. I'll let, I guess, Cassie kind of take hold of the waiting room while I start introducing stuff. Um, so, hello, everyone. Welcome in. Thank you for coming. Today's a very special meeting. For one, we're all together. That doesn't happen that often. And um, we have a guest speaker, the first of this year, actually. And we know that we promised guest speakers, you know, as, like, kind of a normal event. So, sorry it took so long, but this is, I guess, it was very much worth the wait because today we have a very special, special guest. Um, and before I say his name, we discovered him through, or we guess, learned lots and lots of about him through Mrs. Buck's podcast, Go Green Radio, actually. You guys should be listening to that. Um, he talked all about his book. He's an author, for, for one. Um, wrote a book called Building a Better World in Your Backyard. Um, talked all about, he's an expert in permaculture, horticulture, just sustainable agriculture in general. Has made his own eco-scales. Crazy innovations that I never heard of before. And yeah, we all have something to learn from him. So we're super happy he's here. Say hello to Mr. Paul Wheaton. Thank you for being here. Thank you for spending your time to be here with us today. You can, you know, say hello and tell us all that we want to say with your sharing screen stuff. <laughs> well, thanks for having me and, and thanks for making me sound so cool. <clears throat> I, I already got, like, in my little chat box, there's a, there's a question there. Apparently it's just to me and it doesn't say who it's from. It says, what is permaculture? Should I start there? Sounds like a good place to start. <laughs> okay. All right. So for every person that's bonkers about permaculture and you ask them this question, each of them is going to give you a different answer. My answer is permaculture is a more symbiotic relationship with nature so that I can be even lazier. There you go. <laughs> now I'm ready for the next question, sir. <laughs> Well, and Paul, if you want to give us a little bit of a, a background, not everybody on the call has listened to the radio show or, uh, or checked out your website. Some of them are just coming in today and hearing about you for the first time. So if you don't mind giving us, you know, a few minutes of, of an overview of what your life is like and some of the choices you've made, then we can do some more Q&A as well. Um, okay. <clears throat> um I uh, I was bonkers about gardening many, many years ago, and I got the, the certified master gardener stuff. I even went so far as to get the certified advanced master gardener stuff. And um, my obsession with gardening went on and on and on, and then uh, I finally ended up with some acreage, and I had all these experiments that I was doing, and somebody said, um, oh, that's permaculture, and I'd never heard the word before. So I booked up and uh, found in all these books not only a lot of things that I, th I thought I had invented, but a lot of other things, too. So uh, I was real excited to discover the word. Um, and I have just done massive study in this space, and um, I uh, uh, bought more land, and uh, we're building community here. Uh, I also have an online community that's gotten kind of big and uh, I think we've got more than a million people coming out each month uh, to talk about permaculture um, but 
it's the thing I love about the word permaculture is that it's so multifaceted. It's got all the gardening stuff in there and a bunch of natural building stuff and and uh, alternative energy stuff and and so many different things that I value and I think make a big difference. And so I think I think another angle on it all is I went to this event once and it's like oh it's the big environmental event of the year. And uh, I kind of took a little camera around, and I thought I'd make this great video. I was going to ask everybody, what's the best thing that you think you could do for the environment? Because, you know, it's an environmental event. And almost all of the answers were die. Like, like dying is the best thing you could do for the environment. And I'm thinking, like, oh, come on, we could do way better than that. I, I, I kind of feel a little bit like... Is it possible that our function as a species on this planet is to romance nature and make it better? Now, granted, right now what we're seeing is a lot of activity where we're kind of putting a boot onto the throat of nature, which is pretty rude, and nature isn't enjoying that. Um, But I kind of feel like a, a, a magnificent gardener working with nature can make nature sing and and be happy and joyful. Um, and I kind of I kind of wish to shoot for that. So I guess my work has been to discover all these little bits and bobs and share them, and also provide a platform for thousands or millions of others to do that. And then. Along the way, I've done a lot of writing. I've produced a bunch of movies about this stuff. Um, and then eventually uh, a guy said, let me take all the stuff you wrote. We'll cobble it together in a book. Okay. And then we got this idea of, like, let's really polish it really super good. Maybe it'll change the world. And so we did that. And then and now I'm an author. Does that answer your question? Or am I just babbling? It's good babbling. I mean, that was good. That was a lot. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I had a lot of comments. Um, I don't want to take away from you because you're like the main presenter here. But yeah, when I, it's funny, you're talking about joking about how the best thing we can do for Earth is to die. And I've made that joke with my friends before. But when I learned about permaculture, that isn't the best we can do since permaculture is all about our relationship with the environment, how we can actually better it, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, so, so really inspiring. So, I mean, I think if you read my book, you know, then I've given you kind of the recipes for how your existence on this planet can make it so much better. I, you know, how many of you have read my book? Have you read my book? I mean, I, I know you guys are in high school, so it's like I, I don't feel like I want to test you, but I do. <laughs> Jill's read my I really book. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's a short book. It might even be a little bit entertaining. It's very entertaining. Very entertaining. I I heard a rumor that it's very entertaining. (laughs) A rumor. What is this that we're seeing on the screen, Paul? What are you sharing with us? So, uh... I've got, I, I brought up the, the thing about the book because you guys said that you wanted to visit with me today because I wrote this book. And, um, oh, and one of the things that we do is, is that we sell the book by the dozen because the idea is, is that people will buy a dozen books and spread them around. And 
And the number one way that they do it is the little free library system. This is what we call how a shy person hands out books. Uh, we, we've, ha- we've heard of people like, uh, especially during COVID, they'll buy a dozen books and they'll stick them on the chairs of people at work. Uh, but anyway, the, the thing is, is that if we want to have change, then I think that the, the way to get change is through little bits of knowledge in our heads. And I wrote the book with the idea that when you're done with it, you would pass it along to the next person. And so there's a little place in the front page where you write your name and it gets passed on. And the little free library system is really cool at helping to facilitate that if you don't know of who you might pass it on to. Um, so uh, the, the, we, sell, we sell a lot of books by the dozen. Um, I just filled my house with 10,000 more books. And so, uh, yeah, please... Please uh, buy the book so I can have my bedroom back. Thanks. I'm glad we had this chat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You have my best speaker today. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. Yeah. Um, but yes. It's exciting adventures with Zoom. That's what it is. Yes, sir. Um, and, yeah, our plan is, my plan is definitely your book is the next book I'm going to read. And we'll definitely be sharing this link and all the other links including the other resources we already sent out to the members. So you guys, after this meeting, look out for that. Um, uh, Yeah, is there anything else you want to share with us on your screen? Yes. So this is the big thing where where when Jill contacted me and and she says that a bunch of high school students want to talk to me, I said, oh, and I want to talk to them. And and I said, uh, so we've developed this new thing. And it's like this has been like five years in the making. And right now we've got about a hundred people that are active and helping to kind of get it, get it beaten into shape, and we are super close to having it all done. Um, but uh, basically, we've got this umbrella, and it and it kind of all starts with how about six years ago, a friend of mine who is an old geezer, and uh, he uh, uh, developed a natural building technique that is rather genius. But he lives about three hours away from me, and he would call me like every other month to say, I need you to send me somebody worthy to will my land to them. I need them to come here, and I need to look at them being worthy. And if they're worthy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a will and everything, and they get it all when I die because, like, you know, I'm old. And so... Uh, we had this conversation every two months. But the weird thing is, is I've talked to probably a dozen people that have land and they want to will it to somebody, but they just need to know that they're not going to just turn around and sell it. You know, they just, they, they, the only thing that they ask for is that the land is going to continue to be cool and used for something, you know, used used for something that Mother Nature intended, and so not turned into a strip mall or some kind of development or something like that, something amazing and cool. So based on all of that, um, we put together this way, and it's all free, so that a person can go and, like, do a simple task. And so I think probably the most popular thing that we talk about is building a club-style mallet. And so... It's you, you go hack off a, a tree branch, and then you take a hatchet, you kind of whittle this up. Um, uh, 
And it's like, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to show that you can do it. And then it's like, you know, and then there's about 80 little tasks that you can do to get the PEP-1 certification, which should take about two weeks. And then uh, to get the PEP-2 certification is three months. PEP-3 is uh, another year. And then PEP-4 takes another two and a half years. And so we are kind of offering this up as an alternative to college. And so we're calling it SKIP for Skills to Inherit Property, but also SKIP because you can skip the rat race. Like right now, you guys are probably thinking about like, hmm, maybe I should go to college and stuff. And uh, that's a big debt to take on. Um, And it's kind of like, is it really give you what you want? You've, you've learned a, you've learned some stuff that can be applied to a future job, and then it's like you got to start out at ground level, and then you're there for 40 years until you can retire, and it's possible that what you wish to retire to, you could have inherited decades earlier and skipped all of that stuff, all of that debt, and all of those things. So... Because that's another thing, too. I'm getting a lot of uh, questions from people that are 17 or 18, and they're kind of like, should I go? Should I go to college? Should I do this? Should I make this leap? And it's like, I, I don't have a clear answer, although I do have a clearer alternative now. And <clears throat> I don't know. I, I kind of feel like um, this is different. It's new. It's taking advantage of what the Internet is right now so that we can make it free. Um, so, this is, so this is the new thing. This is the other thing I wanted you to – I mean, we could talk about the other stuff, the stuff from the book, like, you know, how do I reduce my personal carbon footprint? Glad to have that conversation. But if you want to talk about Skip and Pep, I'm glad to do that. We'd love to talk about all of it. And um, when, I, when I was reading this, and seeing, you know, how for high schools and stuff. The way I interpreted it was like permaculture, you don't have to be like a you don't have to be like a farmer to just like embrace things like permaculture and all of the different tactics. You can be someone like me who just wants to learn how to, you know, whittle a mallet, whittle, whittle a spoon and just take it step by step and integrate it into my life somehow. You know, you don't have to be all in. I mean that's great, obviously, it's incredible. But, you know, as if we all do what we can, it sounds like it's something that we can work on together step by step so I thought it's something really cool to share with the other members here um, something that we could do together we actually we make videos so it'd be cool if we could all like you know share our document our own like you know past and experience kind of doing these things that you have on your forum so yeah so you have a lot more pictures to share <laughs> well I tried to pick out a few of the BBs that's what we call each of these little things you, you do the thing and you take some pictures of you doing it and then you post the pictures and say, I did the thing. And then um, you get certified mm-hmm. for that BB. And then um, it's kind of like in order to be able to get the sand badge, you need like, <clears throat> for, for most things, about five BBs. And um, and then in order to get PEP-1 certified, you need 16 sand badges. And so there's, you know, 22 different aspects. You pick your favorite 16 out of those 22. Uh, We're currently almost done with PEA, and this is a permaculture experience for anybody. 
And so we're putting a, a sharp focus on how everything in, in P needs to be something you can do in a very limited apartment. Like, what's the most limited apartment scenario? And uh, we're making sure that everything will work with that. Um, so then, but the but the big thing is is that we kind of believe at this point in time, we're pretty confident that the first person to get PEP2 certified is probably going to be given um, several opportunities, maybe even a dozen opportunities to uh, inherit land. And it's and there's not only inherent land is it's not the only thing that happens. I mean, like when you go to college, there's a lot of other benefits that you get from going to college. Um, just the same thing with with PEP and Skip is that um, there's a lot of other benefits that you get from doing all of these DDs. Uh, but if you get like PEP one or PEP two certified, there's uh, a lot of uh, people that want to talk to you. They want to talk to you about, uh, or they want to talk to you as a consultant. They want to uh, offer things to you, um, and uh, they'd like to work with you because you've, you know, demonstrated that you can do some basic things. Well, it sounds super cool, and we're going to. Okay, so um, I mean, the plan is we do a lot of activities here, so um, we would love to integrate all of this stuff that you have on your forum and all about Pep and Skip and the activities we do. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And um, we'll send out, to everyone else, we'll send out the links to all of these alongside the ones we already have. So, yeah, look out for that. Um, and is there anything else you want to talk about, Mr. Wheaton, about Pep or Skip, or do you want to hop on to other questions and stuff? I, I kind of am hoping that uh, you guys have looked it over a bit and mm-hmm. – and uh, and you've got some questions. You've got some feedback for me. I mean, we have probably about five thousand hours of effort put into this whole program. And I gotta say, putting together a curriculum is really hard. Um, it's amazing how it's like we've got like three or four lines of curriculum, and we'll spend four hours debating, you know, the every word of it. It's like uh, uh, to get it just just right. So I'm I'm hoping you guys have spent some time cruising through it a little bit, and you've got some feedback for me. Oh, we have, we have, and I think we like kind of documented it on something where we have it all right, Mrs. Buck. <laughs> yeah, and and we can definitely send that to you, Paul. If we don't get to that at this point, I'd love to hear some other questions that folks have, and then we have. Also, time as long as um, you know we, we want to keep you on schedule to give you feedback on this, and also to ask some questions that are of a, a more general nature. So, who's next and would like to answer or ask some questions? Uh, I'll pose one, and then we'll hop on over to I believe Kathy has a bunch of questions as well. Perfect. One I wanted to pose big. Uh, I was wondering. I thought like you would enjoy this. Um, talking about. You know, after a lot of research about you, I've noticed that you put Step Holster on a very high pedestal. Someone named Step Holster. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about him, tell us a little bit about him, why he's important, why we shouldn't be inspired by him as well. The mighty, the glorious, the amazing Step Holster. Um, <clears throat> I, in, in 2001, uh, is when I first heard the word permaculture and I started, I, I bought all the books. And I found out that there were these videos that were pretty rare, but I, I found them. And they were, um, 
uh, three. I got them on VHS tape. Now, you kids have probably never heard of this VHS tape. It goes back a ways. But I got the three VHS tapes set. And I saw this guy living in the Austrian Alps. And uh, I, and he was doing more than I dreamed. And so I ended up watching these videos about 25 times. And uh, um, it's Sepp Holzer. And I got a chance to meet him. Uh, I think in 2009, and um, we became BFF. In fact, I think is this, yeah. See that thing there? This can, I don't know if you can see it. There's a there's a thing in the on my background here. It's a, it's an award from Sepp. So, uh, Sepp Holzer is raising an immense amount of food without irrigation and without fertilization. Um, and he's got a lot of stuff that will reseed itself and a lot of perennials. Uh, he believes strongly in polycultures. Uh, so he's, he's doing the things that we all talk about doing um, on a very large scale. Uh, there's been documentation that's uh, proved that if we used uh, Sepulcher's techniques uh, across the globe on the, on the land that's just on the land that's currently being used as farmland, that we could grow enough food for 21 billion people. So there's a lot of concern about whether we can, um, if our population continues to grow, whether or not we can feed those people. And the answer is, yeah, no problem, no worries. Uh, there's a lot of areas where people are starving, and SEP has gone in and helped them build systems that um, pump out food like weeds. I mean, basically, that, that's a really good way of looking at it. When you walk down a street, you will see things growing, and they will be not necessarily edible. You'll see a lot of plant life, but you're not thinking, look at that, I want to put that on my pizza. And so it's kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if there was stuff growing where you would say, look at that, I'm going to put that on my pizza. And it's like, what kind of pizza is that? I call it weed pizza. Not the kind of weed pizza you might be thinking about. It's totally different than that. <laughs> what did I just step in? What's that on my foot? Okay. So, uh, I think that uh, the, the idea is, is like, how do you get the things that you eat to grow like weeds do? I mean, the weeds, they don't have anybody over there irrigating them. They don't have anybody fertilizing them. The weeds are doing great. Now, at the same time, I think that there's a lot of people that are watching this right now, and they know of maybe an apple tree. Now, since you guys are in California, maybe I should say a lemon tree. <laughs> there's, there's a fruit tree that nobody takes care of. Nobody irrigates it. Nobody fertilizes it, and yet every year it continues to pump out mystery foods. And you can just walk right on up and get yourself a whole bunch of food. So then it's like, well, why can't I have my whole backyard just be doing this? But, you know, not all with the same thing, a whole bunch of different stuff. Stuff I like on my pizza, maybe. And it's kind of like, yeah, let's 
Let's do that. Step is doing that. And then a lot of people are like, well, I can't do that in a cold climate. SEP is doing it in a cold climate. Now, there are other permaculture enthusiasts that are doing it in warmer climates. Those are going to be your tropical and subtropical guys. The top of the list is clearly Willie Smith and the work that he's doing. Uh, uh, Jeff Lawton has a lot of fame in that space for, for some very desert areas. Um, there's a lot of different people doing a lot of stuff in, in tropical and subtropical climates. But when it comes to cold climate, and I live in Montana, I'm a cold climate kind of guy, then the person I turn to is Sepp Holzer. And he's the only person at level 10 in your ecoscale for a reason. So I really wanted to hear more about him. Thank you. Well, it is a reverse logarithmic base 10 scale. So then the way it works is that there can only be one person at the top of the scale. So then uh, I think that's at level 10, there's Sepp. And then at level 9, there's 10 people. And at level 8, there's 100 people. And so on and so forth until you've got everybody in the world. Very cool. Okay. So I will pass on to Kathy. Okay. Um, so this is how the Q&A thing will work. The idea was to us officers have some questions for, you know, you, Mr. Wheaton. And also, we all totally want you guys, the club members, if you guys have any questions, to just, you know, unmute, say something in between, you know, we really want to hear your voices, but there's also the option you can DM your private message, me or Kathy, your questions, and we can just share them out anonymously if that's what, if that's what you want to do. So, yeah, since we, ideally, we wanted like a period of time afterwards for you guys to ask your questions, but, you know, given time constraints, you just ask them anytime you really want throughout. It doesn't really matter. So, I'll pass it on to Kathy now to ask her questions. On? Okay. So my question was about um, saving energy because in California, obviously, it doesn't get that cold compared to Montana, um, but I'm kind of like cold-blooded, so it's cold for me. Um, and so I always have like my heater on on the ground, and I was watching your TED Talk about how that's obviously really inefficient because it kind of just like scalds your feet and the rest of your body is still like frozen like an ice block. Um, so how would you recommend really saving energy? Okay. Um I'm going to go so that the chances are that uh, if you, that that I'm going to guess that you are a high school student and that with that package comes parental units always keeping you down. And so then if you're like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to build a rocket mass heater in the living room, they're going to be, no, you're not. So then it's kind of like, all right, all right, all right, plan B. And it's like, what can I do? That's gonna that's gonna be like uh, it'll go with the flow of this. No, you can't build a rocket mass heater in the living room thing. Uh, and it's kind of like uh, I think in that TED talk that I gave, I, I mentioned something where there was a dog bed heater at the feet. So like, so I had my lab rat um, <clears throat> uh, there uh, uh, at my at my that was my desk, but my lab rat and. And so she was dressed normally, and at her feet was a dog bed heater, which uses about 15 watts. And above her head was a uh, um, swinging arm lamp. No, wait, it was a chicken brooder lamp. And it had a 40-watt light bulb in it. And then in that particular picture scenario, she had uh, there was a heated keyboard and a heated mouse. And um, so total energy usage was 85 watts, I believe. No, 82.5 watts. 
And then the heater that's at your shins, generally those are 1,500 watts, although you can get some that are a little lower, like 500 or 750 watts. But even if you went down to 500 watts, your shins still cook while the rest of your body freezes. And so <clears throat> these micro heaters with 82.5 watts makes it so that you feel quite warm, even toasty, but you're using a fraction of the energy. But there's more, and that is that, like, if you fire all that up and you're sitting there at your desk and you're getting your stuff done, after a while you're going to be like, oh, man, this is, this is a little too hot. I'm getting kind of sweaty here. I need to turn down the thermostat, maybe just in my room, maybe in the whole house. Now, the amazing thing is, is that when you do that, then um, that's where you really start to see savings. Because for a typical American home, the number of people per square foot of house is way different. It's like three times higher than it was in 1950. And so there's all these rooms and all this real estate in the house where you are trying to uh, heat all of that, but there's nobody there to appreciate the heat. And so with the microheater, you're feeling very warm in your little heat bubble, and you can turn the thermostat in the house down. And on that particular example, we turned it down to 50 for the whole house, and she felt like it was 70 or 75. So that's a lot of savings. So in California... Um, I know that I did a contract in San Diego once, and it got down to, like, 45 degrees or something, and it seemed like everybody was going out of their mind with the cold. I thought that was kind of funny, being a guy from Montana. So, I gave you a recipe for how to be a little bit warmer. By the way, I think it's good to just know a little heat science, and that is that there's three kinds of heat. There's convective heat which is the least efficient, and it's also the kind of heat that nearly all Americans use. And then there's conductive heat, which is the most efficient. Now, convective is where you heat the air and the air heats you. That's the least efficient. Conductive is where there's something that's warm and you touch it. That's the most efficient. And in between the two is radiant heat. And that's where there's a heat source and you have line of sight with it. And you can feel the heat on the part of you that is facing the heat source. So if you've got multiple radiant heat sources, they will keep you warmer than if you're trying to heat the air and the air heats you. A little bit of science. And, and it's like the number one carbon footprint thing in the United States is how we use our heat at home. Now, this opens up a whole different topic where um, when I try to talk about carbon footprint and our personal carbon footprint, taking personal responsibility for our carbon footprint, a lot of people argue that this is like the worst thing that an American can do is take responsibility for their own carbon footprint because we need to focus on punishing the bad guys on on 
how we can regulate them into doing things our way. But the thing is, is that the only reason that there are bad guys is we keep giving them money. If we took away their money, they would shrivel up and blow away. So I kind of think that to those people that make that kind of statement, I would say, why not do both? Now, my book is about building a better world in your backyard instead of being angry at bad guys. So I still think that if people want to do both, that's cool. But I think that a majority of the population, they don't want to be angry at bad guys. And the people who make it their all-day thing to be angry at bad guys, they want everybody to be angry at the bad guys. And I don't know about all of you, but I'm tired of being angry at the bad guys. I would kind of rather just stop giving the bad guys money. I am ready for the next question, sir. No, that was a really great answer. I think I, too, also struggle with the thing about, like, you know, living a sustainable lifestyle, but then also, like, um, I mean, frankly, I do buy a lot of products that aren't sustainable. I do engage in behaviors that aren't sustainable, and it's hard to see sometimes how I fit into the bigger picture, but it's important to remember that, like, what we do still matters. Um, and listening to the podcast and reading your blog, you realize that there's a lot more that I could be doing. Like, I already thought of myself as fairly eco-friendly, but I'm like, there's so much room for growth, I think, for me. Um, yeah. I, I want to start by giving you license to be unsustainable. <sighs> I, I It's like, if you... If you want to go out and get a pizza, you're doing pizza analysis, and the, and it says, this is not a sustainable pizza, but it's delicious. I want you to have all the things. I, I want you to have that pizza and enjoy it thoroughly. And, and then when you're done, I want you to buy another pizza and eat that one too. I want you to live the most magnificent life. And... The whole book that I wrote is all about things that would make your life even more magnificent. So, sure, there's lots of things you could do to sacrifice and, and live a crapulent life, all in the name of, of the better good. And it's like, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anybody. I want everybody to live their most magnificent life first. And along the way, could I make a couple of suggestions? so that you might have an even more magnificent life than Plan A <clears throat> that is also just so happens to be, as luck should turn out, extra sustainable. That sounds now, good. Um... If I, I think my book has followed. So, Jill, you have read all of my book. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in there that sounds like sacrifice? No. Not at all. I mean, okay, maybe one thing, Paul, if I'm being honest. Okay, be honest. The, Bring it to me. The poolest hair. <laughs> okay? The poolest hair. Okay, all right. Tell them what the poolest hair thing is. Okay, so I wish I made up this word because it's a beautiful word. It's a magnificent, glorious word. So the idea is, uh, I mean, first when you hear this word poolist, it's like, okay, I want you to go poolist. It sounds like you might gain a lot of weight. But it's actually about uh, to cut back on the soap and shampoo that you use in the shower. And when I say cut back, I mean cut out. Like there's zero. There's none. 
still, you know, shower and bathe just as much as ever. But it turns out that 99% or more of your body funk is entirely water-soluble. But wait, there's more. When you travel this path, for most people, they report that they are now less stinky and their their hair is more luxuriant than ever. All right, Jill, you're saying sacrifice. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I have yet to try it, but I do believe you. And it's simple. You know, actually, COVID would be the perfect time to try and go yes. through So maybe I will. But you know what? I want. I know that you guys have a bunch of questions. So let's let's fire them off, guys. What? Wait, 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 wait. You said this was sacrifice. <laughs> I'm saying you're adding luxuriance. Now, one of the things that happens, I mean, granted, you're going to save a lot of hot water. You're going to no longer spend money on the shampoos. You're not putting toxic gick on your body anymore. I mean, these are all environmental perks. These are all small things that you can do for the environment. I mean, the hot water thing is a big one. It actually saves a lot of hot water. So then the perks are there, but you're saying, I don't know, this sounds like sacrifice. Well, one thing is, is the typical American shower is seven and a half minutes long. But when you go with Poolist, generally somewhere between a minute and a minute and a half, you get bored. There's nothing left to do in there. Therefore, mathematically, I just gave every high school kid in the world an extra six minutes to sleep in. That's luxury! <laughs> That's so true. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who's got the next question, guys? Uh, I I do. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, because I think, I mean, Mr. Wheaton already answered a lot of it, but I just wanted to, like, kind of ask, because I'm really interested in it, is the idea of sacrifice. Even before you started talking about it, I wrote that question, like, kind of the idea of permaculture and also lifestyle changes, how we can be more environmentally sustainable while improving our lifestyle while, rather than seeing it as like a burden or a necessary evil or like to like kind of further the good of society. Are there any other examples other than like Poolis, um bought lifestyle like you could offer us like like as like ways to improve our lifestyle while, while being more environmentally sustainable? I, I kind of feel like, um, okay, let's talk about the pizza box. Um, I'm going to encourage you to eat a lot of pizza. I think pizza is great, but I want everybody to eat plenty of pizza. I want a life rich in pizza. But you get the pizza box, and now it's got, you know, foodie bits on it, and, and then the recycling people don't want it because of the foodie bits. And you're like, but it's cardboard. And they're like, we know, but it's got foodie bits. And that doesn't go in our cardboard recycling program. So you got to put it in the garbage. And that's kind of like, wait, I don't want to put stuff in there. All right, so here's the challenge. What do we do with this pizza box? What can we do? Now, one thing that's a little simpler is, of course, I advocate a rocket mass heater. So this is uh, a way for us in Montana and those of us in a cold climate to basically uh, have oodles and oodles and oodles of luxuriant heat for free. It's a wood-burning device. It heats your home with one-tenth the wood of a conventional wood stove, and the exhaust is steam and carbon dioxide. 
Um, the carbon footprint for a rocket mass heater is about, um, uh, I think it, it's about 2% that of electric heat. Maybe it's 1% to 2%. And I think it's like 2 to 3% that of natural gas heat. Uh, but it's a wood-burning device, so it helps to start it with paper or cardboard, and it will accept pizza boxes. Now, I want to go one step past that. So first of all, I'm thinking you're all ooing and aahing at how brilliant and magnificent I am, and I'm like, man, that is great. That was gold right there. But but there's more. I'm going to go farther. I'm going to take it. What if you had oodles and oodles of magnificent pizza, but there is no pizza box. It's as if there's somebody in your house making magnificent pizza. And it's like, well, who is this mysterious person? Well, some of you are probably like, that's my mom. Or that's my dad. But it's like, as in adulthood, we don't get that option anymore. We, uh, we left those people behind. <laughs> get away from us. You guys are crazy. Like that. That's how we did it. Some people don't, but that's another story. Uh, this is our American culture. You get to a certain age, and you leave the nest. So we've left the nest. But what if you chose a nest that had a bunch of really super cool people in it? And uh, now, I can say this to high school kids because they haven't gone through those college years yet, where there's that guy that never washed the dishes. That's stuff. But, okay, forget about that guy for a minute. Okay, let's suppose that you're in this house with, like, a whole bunch of super cool people. Some of them are bonkers about gardening, and some of them are bonkers about making pizza. And so, I don't know, a couple times a week, there's all this pizza, and there's no pizza boxes. So, uh, all right, there was a question looking for an example. I just eliminated the pizza box. Ta-da! And I made your life more luxurious. You don't even have to wait for it. It was served before you even knew you wanted pizza. It's that good. <laughs> That's awesome, Paul. Thanks, Jerry. That was a good question. Who's next? I think Riley. Riley had a question. You can go for it. Go for it. Following up on the, like, coolest showering technique... So I know there are a lot of, like, swimmers, myself included, in the club. And, like, we, we like, come home soaked in chlorine. Ugh. So is poolless still, like, a viable method to remove the chlorine? And, like, are there, like, any alternative ways that, like, might also work? Oh, boy. All right. So you're going and you're swimming in poison every day. And it's like, and, and you're asking the question, like, can I, can I rinse it off or do I need, like, more toxic yik to take the first toxic yik off? I mean, the reason why they use chlorine is that it's a general poison and they put it into a certain amount so that um, you don't die, but all the little creepy crawlies that want to, you know, make their home be a, bu a, a bunch of standing water, they will die. I mean, I... I, what I want is I, I want to come up with a natural swimming area that does not use chlorine. And I can talk about that. In fact, I do talk about it in my book. But um, as far as whether you have to have shampoo to get the chlorine out, 
I'm afraid I don't know that. Um, I, I, I would rather try to find a solution for you that's going to, to have you not having chlorine in your life. But, you know, swimming is really super cool. Um, and I think the, the natural swimming pools, which is like my last, one of the last chapters in my book, uh, provides that option. But, of course, I don't know of exactly the Olympic-sized, warm, uh, natural swimming pool. <clears throat> um, but one of the big things about Poolis is to try it for a week. And most people, not everybody, but most people report that if they stick it out for a week, you keep showering and bathing just as much as before, just not with soap and shampoo, um, that at the end of the week, most people see great results. So you could try it, and even though you're doing the chlorine thing, although I'm pretty certain that you are not going to get a lot of the good smellums effects from going poolis because the bacteria on your body that um, outcompete the stinky bacteria that make it so that you end up with this good ecosystem on your skin to uh, combat the stinkums naturally, you're kind of killing those guys off every time you get in the pool. But I'm going to guess that your desire to be in that pool is greater than this uh, desire for uh, a natural, non-stink path. But uh, maybe there'll be a point when you're going to go a week without getting in the pool and you can try that. But even going in the pool, I think it's still worth giving it a try and seeing how it goes for you. Thanks, Paul. That's awesome. Who's after Riley? Who wants to go next? I believe Amy. Go, Amy. Yes. Hi. Let me just... Um, oh, nice. I've been recording the whole talk. Okay. Um, Mr. Wheaton, I know that this um, environmental effort is a combined effort from many different, from many different, from people from many different fields and professions. And um, putting this permaculture community into a bigger context, I'm wondering what other professions and people who you talk to maybe uh, daily or where do you get inspiration for um, your projects? Who do you converse with to get more um, interesting ideas? Ah, <clears throat> well, um, and so you're like, you're, you're thinking of like, what would be a profession where I talk to people of that profession regularly to move my stuff forward more. Um, yeah, exactly. <coughs> hmm. <clears throat> I am I'm going to say that it's such a it's such a grab bag. I mean, I, if you're going to do anything holistically, which is kind of what we're doing here. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of include like almost everybody I mean there are a lot of people in ag that I talk to um, but most of the people in ag are more focused on what's the best herbicide to use for their situation uh, but they're not like generally not inspiring I mean um, what profession would you say Sepp Holzer is in my guess is is that the answer is I don't know I mean if I don't have an answer 
I don't know either. It's like uh, I would have to say, what profession? What was Da Vinci's profession? Geniusing. I mean, Da Vinci did. A, he he invented a lot of stuff, and he was a painter, a sculptor. I mean, he did a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. What is his profession? Yeah. I think I think things the people that I tend to talk to are the people that are working on placing many of these components together holistically. Um, yeah. And I know, like I ca- I come from a software engineering background. Ooh, in fact, since we're doing this, it's like, look, here's software I wrote back in the nineties. All right, so, but uh, I, I came from software engineering, and uh, so is, do I say that my profession is software engineering? Ooh, I'm an author now. I can say that. I don't know. I, Joel Salatin is probably the leading author on ag right now. I could say Joel Salatin, but I don't talk to him that often. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I'm not answering your question. Like, I'm doing a very poor job of answering this question. No, I think you answered it perfectly. For me, I think uh, usually people just choose a profession. See, for example, if somebody says, I'm going to be an environmental scientist, then they will just be that environment, and they have a definition for that. They're going to do a specific type of job. And then there's people who say, I will be a landscape architect, architect, and they will do that. They would do urban planning. They would do design buildings that are sustainable. And perhaps they would look at solar panels and a lot of other installations for the building. But really, we don't have to limit ourselves to that. We have to, I feel like for any profession, uh, because we are, we all have a common goal. And that is to make earth and make living more sustainable without sacrificing anything, without without doing something, forcing ourselves to do something impossible. So just changing the culture, uh, making it um, centered around sustainability from the very fundamental parts of it. So I feel like we don't have to, uh, I feel like we have to constantly search for inspiration, even from maybe the enemies, from the people who we think are doing harm to the environment. We don't know, maybe a technology that they're producing can be harvested for good use. We always have to search for ideas. That's what I was thinking. And your uh, your reply was perfect. So let me throw something in the mix. Just like days before I graduated from high school, Somebody said to me that the richest life is not going to be tied to one career. Mm-hmm. The richest life is going to change careers every five years. So I have not changed careers every five years, but I have changed my career a few times. And I think I've done magnificent at each of the career paths I was on. And that led to a very rich life Mm -hmm. so I want to suggest that if you could go out and live a life that is full of amazing stuff and it's not full of the wolves at the door it's not full of like I better come up with another hundred bucks this week or I am so screwed that 
most people live. Most people with college degrees live. And uh, one of the things that I advocate in my book, I call it radically deviant financial strategies. And it is something that a high school person could start. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is to, to build what's called passive income or residual income. And the way that you do it is, at least the way that I did it was, I gave a lot of stuff away for free. And then at some point in my life, somebody said, you know, that thing out there that everybody loves and you've got like a million people looking at it, you could stick like a little ad on it or you could stick a little this thing or that thing on it. And then you'd be making like 50 bucks a month. And it's like, oh, okay. So I did some of that. Next thing you know, all of my income streams add up to more than my monthly expenses. I can, I don't, I can go do anything I want now. I don't ever have to like try to get some money in to pay the mortgage or anything like that. So imagine what your life could be if you had that now. With passive or residual income streams, that money keeps coming in month after month after month, even if you don't do anything. And it's kind of like, doesn't that seem like a smart thing? I mean, there's a bunch of people that have taken these words and they've tried to turn it into something else, which I don't understand. But the the thing is, is like right now I have like a lot of money coming in each month and I don't really have to do anything. I mean, I didn't have to come here for this thing today. I did it because I thought it'd be cool. There's a picture of my book. I don't have to do anything to sell the book. When people buy the book, other people take care of all that stuff and I get a bunch of money each month. And, uh, you know, same thing with all my other stuff. I've got lots of stuff. It's like, I wish to give you the freedom from having to make some sort of career choice now when you're just getting started in adulthood. And it's like when you get, it's like the people, I'm sure you've heard of people where they they go to college and they're going to get a degree in biology. And then... They, uh, when they become sophomores, uh, they drop the biology thing. Now they're doing business. And then mm-hmm. six months later, they drop business. And now they're doing engineering. And then they drop the engineering and they're going on this their path. And it's kind of like your needs change, your desires change, the things that seem cool to you change. None of us want to be broke or whatever. We all would like to have oodles of dough, you know. And so it's kind of like, how do you get to the point that you're comfortable and you don't have all that money stress? I, I think it's like 85% of Americans have extreme levels of money stress. It's like, don't, you know, how can I save you from that? And so I'm, and, and part of it is by giving you a very evasive answer to your lovely question. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Weaver. Paul, I, I love this. And I, I think, you know, you expand our thinking in, in many ways. And we need to have a lot more of that kind of disruptive, you know, moments of reflection that, that help us think outside the box that we're brought up on sometimes. And so there's lots of ways to accomplish our dreams. I know that you have a time stop, and, and so does our club. Colin, was there anything else that you wanted to say before we give Mr. Wheaton the last word? 
I think all I have to say, I know he has to hop off. We're a little over the time limit. So thank you for staying with us. And a big thank you for just being here in the first place. Um, we've all, I've learned a lot. So I just going to assume that everyone else here also learned a lot. Um, and we're just so happy to have you. We will, to everyone in the club, we will be sending out links to all this stuff, all these resources, learn more, read the book, Building a Better World in Your Backyard. I 100% am. And I think a lot of the other offices are too. Uh, so that's all for me. Thank you for being here, Mr. Paul Wheaton. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to infect brains. <laughs> Thank Our you, pleasure. Paul. And we will send you a, a document with the officer's feedback on the programs that yeah. you've got. They, they've gone through it. They've got some feedback for you. So we will send that to you in a document. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Good to see you. See you guys later. All righty. Thank you. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.